Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Plant Allied Recovery Podcast, a place where we discuss all things plant medicine and recovery, how it relates, how to integrate, everything in between. I'm here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Kelia Ryan. This is my other co-host, EJ Oldeck, and we are here today with Shane Ali of Mount Shiva Retreats, along with many other uh, iterations of the way that he shows up in service to the world. We're so excited to have him on this podcast. We actually tried to have him on the Life is a Ceremony podcast before in the previous iteration of this podcast and had some technical difficulties, which actually led to a really beautiful shift in all things and kind of how I uh, started to align towards talking just specifically about Plan Allied Recovery because I was so excited to have you on and the conversation that we had last time was so beautiful just talking about that path and yeah really uh, really interesting how sometimes in the challenges we end up finding our way and so yeah we're here to talk about all, all the things um, your book is one of the one of the pieces that we're here to talk about um, and yeah, do you have anything to to add to start? No, I think the book will be great background for you know Shane's work and his work along you know his own path and recovery and plant medicine and the work he's done working specifically with the masculine and co-ed spaces and lots of beautiful things. So, Shane, please. Yes, I am going to keep myself muted when I'm not talking so that a uh, little background music playing here in the Kaaba house where I am doesn't bleed through. But thank you all so much for your time and for your efforts here. This is a, a really powerful conversation to be had for so many reasons. But as we all know, people are struggling out there um, for so many reasons, and we can get into that. So um, for those specifically for this podcast um, and interested or have partaken in plant medicine ceremonies of various kinds, um, the integration key is really part. And so this conversation is very important to so many people. So I just want to thank you all very much. And I look forward to this discussion. Yeah, thank you so much. And I completely agree. I feel that there isn't um, I mean, I feel that like there's a reason that plant medicines are entering into our consciousness in such a, in such a really like, like huge way. Like so many people are waking up to this realization at this time right now. And I don't think that it's coincidence that we had like the opiate epidemic and all of these other, you know, huge things that affected our entire society. And here we are now with the the next wave of the psychedelic renaissance. And yeah, it's just, it's so great to have you. So definitely an exciting time to be in the space. Shane, how about you start by telling us just what's up with you? What are you working on? What's fresh on your heart right now? Well, to be honest, fresh on my heart is a little heartache, but that's okay. I am human and I'm processing and integrating just like everybody mm -hmm. else. And I think that's very important for people to remember because medicine servers do not need to be, nor should they be put on a pedestal. They are humans and they are flawed and they are also working with their own things. At least they should be. Many of them do not practice what they preach. So I'm processing all the things in my life, just like everyone else. I have my beautiful, almost 15 year old daughter and soccer games and practices all week. And I, and I am working on this book and I'm filming a short film and making music and doing 
podcast and having discussions with beautiful people like you and helping as many people as I can. So I am trying to stay busy, focused. Um, and so I'm doing all sorts of things because, you know, I should probably be dead. And yet here I am. And so I'm going to ride this until the wheels fall off. So I'm doing all sorts of stuff right now. It is not always easy, but uh, in my opinion, as far as my calling is concerned, it feels right. And so while it is difficult, um, I accept. And so I'm doing all sorts of things to live a fulfilling life right now. I hear you on that, man. And we were just talking about this before the episode. Like, you know, we come so we we become so our lives become so focused on like our healing journeys and helping others heal. And it's not like we reach this point of God status where we're blissed out. I mean, maybe if you devote yourself to being a monk and just meditate all day and that's your life, perhaps you will, you know, touch enlightenment and hold on to it for periods of time. But for most of us, that's not the case. And we just get, you know, the challenges still come. And I think for all humans, you know, life just orients us towards growth. And I think that's a part of the reason why we're here. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I think too that like it's the healing journey never ends. It's like it's the spiral path, you know, and we just we just keep on growing and keep on having things come up, but we get a little bit better and better at integrating them. I wanted to have you touch upon your book, just kind of share with readers what it's about and what, yeah, like what excites you about the message that you have within it. Yeah, thank you so much for letting me talk about this because this book has been a real labor of love and it really is a job that does not pay because I have to make myself in any spare moment I have come here, usually open the laptop and click away. Um, I'm about 280 some pages, about 94,000 words in and it is kicking my ass. I feel like I'm coming around the final corner right now, but the edits and the rewrites are really difficult because, um, well, it's about my life. And I was a heroin addict for 25 years. So it's sort of like the, the childhood. And we know how much trauma follows us from that, right? So it's the childhood and my upbringing. Then it's the years of addiction, all the um, crazy, insane, scary, funny, sad moments that um, transpired over the course of those decades. And then the last piece is, 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 the, is the best piece, and that's sort of the recovery, um, how I got out of it, how others may be able to get out of it, both using these plant medicines and also not just basic tools and practices that people can implement into their lives to get and stay clean. So um, the book is coming right along. It is called Hope After Dope. My journey with addiction, mm. ayahuasca, and God. Um, it will be part basketball diaries, part be here now. So um, it's it's a little, it's very real, and it's also very very spiritual. So I'm working on that. I'm going to swing for the fences. People keep telling me, "Well, you can self-publish," you know. And I've realized that publishing is a whole other undertaking that I have to learn about. But I think I'm going to take the easy way out, which is also swinging for the fences in that I'm going to try to find a book agent that already has relationships with the publishers. And I'm just going to like send it to like the 10 biggest book agents in the country. What do I have to lose? You know, but I'm confident that this book is going to help some people. And even though it's been difficult, repeatedly diving back into my past, repeatedly diving back into these stories and these situations and reliving them over and over again and trying to make them come alive for people who weren't there, which is everybody but me, you know, it's been a difficult process to undertake. Um, 
but there's been many times in this Kappa house where I've had to get up, go outside, take some deep breaths, and also many times where I've ended up in tears in my seat here in the Kappa house. But it's okay, this is the process. And I and I joke that uh, you know nobody writes a book for fun. It's not fun, it really is a labor of love. And then, uh, you know, I've been working on it about two years now, and uh, I, I, I was telling a friend about a year ago, I was like, I am never writing another book. Like, when I get this thing done, I'm done. And then one morning in my daily meditation, like, another idea for a book came up. I was like, now I got to I gotta work on a second book, but I'm going to finish this one first and go from there. So I hope after dope, my journey with addiction, ayahuasca, and God, hopefully, God willing, in the next year or year and a half or so, should be out. But uh, I'm going to try to figure out how to share some excerpts uh, along the way. So thank you for asking. Yeah, that's that's so beautiful. And I can really relate to the idea of going into your past because I feel like for me as well, my past is such a part of what can be helpful for people talking about my journey through addiction. And it is that you have to bring through and transmute these painful experiences that that we have and the ways that we put ourselves in in danger in, in this way. And, and, um, yeah, and, and that's where the magic is. I think sometimes people can learn the most powerful lessons from stories and storytelling is such an ancestral way for us to, to share these things. And so it's, yeah, it's really, really beautiful that you are doing this work and, um, I'm so excited for when your book does come out. Yeah, you know, there are a couple pieces to this as well, because the first one is why I named the book Hope After Dope, because when you are in that place, uh, there seems no way out, you know, which just fuels the addiction more. And when you're in such a dark hole, when you cannot see any light, it's almost impossible to even consider that there's freedom from that, particularly if you've been in it for so long. And so the title Hope After Dope is a is a sort of recognition of that because it can be done. It can be done and, and it should be done. And the point of this is, and I try to make everybody, the dope dealers, the good guys, the bad guys, I try to make everybody very human in this book because the, the point of this is, is that it, it can be done and it should be done. And if I can do it, you know, I'm just a human like everybody else. And if other people can do it, like whoever's out there, you can do this. You know, you can do this. It is not easy. It takes time, patience, effort, discipline, prayer, faith, but it can be done and should be done. Um, so, yes, I think it's important for everybody to remember that there is hope after dope. Yeah, there is hope and everyone can do it. And while you know, it wasn't your fault. It wasn't Kelly's fault. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't anyone who's listening's fault that those things happened. You know, whether it is just subtle things from childhood that grow into micro addictions or full blown rock bottom homeless using situation, you know, yeah, maybe it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to make it better and you can do it. You really can. We all can. Yeah, isn't that such an important point, right? Like the responsibility is ours. It's nobody else's. And we can blame our parents and we can blame society and we can blame being stuck in the matrix and we can blame 5G towers and we can blame chemtrails and we can blame fluoride and we can blame big pharma and big oil and the government. But ultimately, ultimately, it is our own personal fucking responsibility. 
And it is time now to grow up. Whether you are 20 or 50, it is time now to grow up. Own that. Take responsibility for your life. Make no bullshit excuses and carry the fuck on. Yeah, so true. And really, I feel like, you know, so much of what there is out there right now for addiction recovery, it, it's such a it's such a vast web of of options. I mean, you know that I came from the 12 step traditional AA pathway and I do think that they're just being the trauma informed person that I am that there are both things there are people who are trying to re- take responsibility and their trauma and their trauma patterns are not allowing for them to move past a certain point. They get to a place where they're stuck. And that's where, although it wasn't my path and I know it was yours, um, that's where plant medicine can come in and kind of fill that gap because AA's framework is like, sit down, shut up, like take responsibility. Like you don't know anything, take the cotton out of your ears, like, and put it in your mouth is like a, um, another common AA phrase. And like all of these very, um, yeah, all of these very disempowering phrases. And I think that it's really beautiful to have you as as this masculine uh, f- presence who does have that that more like tougher love, like, nope, it's time to show up and take responsibility. And then I think that, yeah, that both things can happen. There can be people who are trying their absolute hardest and just don't know how to. And that is where plant medicine can launch people through that through that push. And yeah, I'm, I'm really so grateful that you brought that up. And yeah, if you want to share a little bit about how you got out of it, I think that would be really helpful to the audience. Yeah. So <clears throat> I want to be clear. I think there are many paths out and the NA and AA 12 step programs work for some people and I'm down for whatever works for whoever needs it, you know? And again, that's where it comes back to personal responsibility because maybe somebody is trying that path and I had tried that in the past and it wasn't for me either. But, uh, but maybe it does work for somebody. So it's, again, it's incumbent upon each individual to find out what is going to work with them and to stick with it. Um, you know, you mentioned the masculine discipline thing and like the firm thing and the hard thing. You know, part of me is, is practicing softening as well. Um, you know, as a single man, um, I, the men's retreats and the co-ed retreats are very different. So at the co-ed retreats, I am much softer. The men's retreat is a little bit different vibe because we come to go to work and it's a group of men and I'm not there to baby you, so we get to work. But um, I'm, I am, in fact, working on, on softening as well because I do believe in the balance. So that's a constant, not struggle, but that's a constant um, issue that I'm uh, always thinking about, trying to balance that that uh, strong, grounded, firm, stable, uh, disciplined masculine, also with the open-hearted, uh, softer, accepting, and vulnerable feminine in me. So I think that's a really good point that you that you bring up. And yes, so my personal journey was was a uh, something snapped in me one night. I was on methadone, and I decided I've been manipulating the system for years. I'd gotten myself so methadone is a long-lasting, legally prescribed. Uh, opiate for people who are trying to wean down off their addiction because it can be measured pretty accurately, very accurately. And so I was at the, method, I've been on methadone programs in Brooklyn and Manhattan and Las Vegas and Florida and North Carolina, all over the place. And I had been manipulating the system for quite some time because most methadone at a high enough dose will keep you well, what we call well, which is really still sick as fuck, for at least a 12 hour period. Uh, 
And I had gotten my, and you cannot get high when you're on methadone because it's already, you're already, your opiate receptors are filled. But I had worked the system so well after so many decades that I was at a dose that was high enough to where it would keep me from withdrawing for a 24 hour period, but it was also low enough to where I could still use. And so for years I had been working this system, my junkie mind had been working the system and how efficient and creative these junkie minds are when they want to get high or fucking find money for dope. Um, but one night something snapped in me and I said, I'm going in that place. Now this is after repeated attempts. I mean, I don't know how many times I've tried to get gay my whole life, but something snapped in me. In fact, I know exactly what it was. It's the last episode of a series on Netflix called The Haunting of Hill House, which is beautifully written, directed, the cinematography is amazing, the acting is good. And there's a storyline in there and one of the twin sons is a heroin addict. So his storyline resonated deeply with me for obvious reasons. In the last episode, he's dying. I broke down into tears. Um, and I said, when I go to the methadone clinic tomorrow, and you have to go in every morning, you have to walk in that place every morning, stand in a line with a bunch of junkies, go up, get your and dose, drink it in front of them, walk out, you know, and then of course you're paying for it. It is cheaper than dope though. Um, so, so I, 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 something snapped me that night watching that last episode, and I went in and I said, I'm weaning down five milligrams a week until I get the five, and then I'm going down one milligram a week. And then I'm done. And they always try to resist because, you know, they're legal dope dealers. They want you, they get you on the comeback. But I said, no, nah, this is what I'm doing. It's my program. It's my life. It's what I'm doing. Okay, they signed off on it. I, I weaned down and it takes weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I got to five milligrams and I woke up one morning. And every morning I had been going in there was just like further confirmation. I want to get the fuck out of here. Just a bunch of junkies. I almost punched several people and vice versa. You know, it's just a shitty environment to be in. People talk about all their stuff in there. And so I'd be in this line first thing in the morning. You know, I'd have obligations to fulfill all day, whether it was job, my daughter, or both, or whatever, school at some point. And so every day I went in there after I made that decision, it was like confirmation, like I need to get out of here. And then I woke up one month, one morning on five milligrams and I said, I am not going back in there. And I didn't. I wouldn't advise that. I would advise waiting, waiting down as long as you can go if you're going to take that back. Uh, and then within a couple of days, the withdrawal kicked in and then the real fun, uh, the real fun began. Um, and, and I could go on with that story because the plant medicine comes in after that, but I'll let you all interject and answer the questions you have. I don't feel like I have any. I'm, I, you know, I've, I've, I've experienced very similar. I, the one thing that I was thinking too is like, um, people call it liquid handcuffs, the methadone clinic around here. I don't know if they call it that around where you got, you know, clean, but that's, that's what we call it around here. And just, yeah, the, the, it's just so interesting because it really is. It's, it's like a legal, a legal dope dealer that absolutely describes it. And yes, it helps many people to not OD and that's valid, but it's still, it still is what it is. And so yeah, continue with your story, please. So I never heard liquid handcuffs, but that's pretty appropriate. I do know that whenever I would move to a new town and I was always moving and that goes back to my childhood, constantly moving and being evicted and all that stuff. I moved around so much in my adult life to running from myself, running from my addiction, but every place I went there, I still was. And if I went to a new place and I didn't know where to cop dope, I would look up a methadone clinic, go to the clinic, and then just ask a fucking junkie hanging out out front, like, I'll get you a bag if you can hook me up, you know? And so methadone clinics are, are good and they're bad. And, you know, and, and, the, and the methadone is a very long lasting opiate. So it really sticks in your body and your brain. Literally every cell, it like destroys your cells from within. Um, 
so yeah, methadone is is a is a valid tool uh, that can be used if you really do intend to get off. Otherwise, it's it's liquid handcuffs. Um, so when I hopped off the five milligrams. <clears throat> I was working at a restaurant at the time, which by the way, I still do going back to the, like all the things we have to do as normal humans who are also medicine surgeons. I still work at a restaurant two nights a week. And would I rather not, of course, but it serves me now and I have a good, a good job and they know what I do and they're supportive. So I, I appreciate that. I'm grateful for that. Um, um, so I, I hopped off this five milligrams, the, 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 all the things. If you don't know what heroin withdrawal is, it is your body reporting and turning inside out. Everything happens. I mean, you are you are nauseous and puking. You are you are intense diarrhea, chills, hot sweats, no sleeping, uh, restless leg syndrome, immense pain, feelings of lethargy and heaviness. I mean, it is just all the things all at once that goes on seemingly forever. And I know a lot of times in recovery, particularly in the twelve step programs, they say, "Oh, one day at a time." Well, there were moments there when I was literally having to take it like a minute at a fucking time. And so I was in bed, twisted up in my sweaty winding sheets, all entangled, just flopping around, no energy. Um, and I still had to get up and do shit. So I still had to like get up and take my mother to work at like 6 a.m. every morning. So not sleeping all night, just being shot out of a can and then having to get up and like drive through morning traffic, get back or take my daughter to school and come back or even go to work at a restaurant deep in the withdrawals. I mean, leaning on tables while I'm taking orders, not barely being able to move. It was fucking brutal. But the rest of the time I stayed in bed and I was looking for any sort of help on YouTube, like any sort of success stories, any sort of guidance that would help me through any of this either mentally or physically, any sort of relief. I was desperate. And then I came across a video about ayahuasca. Now, I had tried ibogaine in the past in Costa Rica, which is another powerful uh, plant medicine that comes from West Africa. The Buiti tribes use it there. It is a masculine uh, plant ally. I had tried that in Costa Rica. And the medicine worked, but I did not because I came back and relapsed instantly, like instantly when I got off the plane. Anyways. I find this thing about ayahuasca and I watched this documentary, I don't know which one it was, and I was instantly called, I instantly cried, and I was instantly called by the medicine. And so I started to look. So when I had the energy, I started to look into ayahuasca online. And I, like many people, thought you could only go to South America to get it. And I was a broke single father. I did not have the funds. And then I found out there's some places in Costa Rica, also extremely expensive, and some places in Mexico. I just can't do it. Well, then I found out that there was a place in Orlando, just about an hour from me, that also does it. They were also cost prohibitive for me at the time. And when I went to do the intake stuff, it didn't feel right anyway, so I didn't end up going there. But as the universe does, when we are making an effort, even if they seem like failed attempts, everything opened up before me and I got in touch with somebody, a white guy, not a lineage shaman from South America, a white guy with good medicine, and good intentions and for $250 I found myself in a cabin in Kentucky with about eight other people and I sat with ayahuasca two nights and it changed my life in one night I shed so much fear and guilt and shame and regret that I didn't even know I was holding on to and god damn was I liberated and then I was just given the message deep in the medicine you are your creator you create your own life fuck everybody else you look out for you and my you take care of your temple and you keep fucking moving and so that was the very first night the second night was a profound experience as well it wasn't as intense energetically 
I just kind of laid there. Many people thought I was sleeping, but if you've ever taken ayahuasca, you know there's no sleeping, at least most of the time, if you're on the medicine. And I could see her literally rewiring my brain. And at one point, every molecule, every atom in my body just like exploded. And I was just like one with everything. And then she put me back together, realigned. And so, again, I want to make this point because it's a very important point to me considering what I do now. There are gatekeepers and there is a school of thought that says if you are not a lineage shaman from south america that you cannot serve this medicine i wholeheartedly disagree from my own personal experience this medicine has made its way out of the jungle now for a reason at a time when humanity needs her the most and there are not enough lineage shaman by the way many men and women will call themselves lineage shaman when they in fact are not it has come out of the jungle now when we need her and this path will open up for the right people who she feels are called to serve her. Not what any other human thinks about whether somebody should or not, should not be serving this. And so I just want to be very clear on that because again, she changed my life the very first weekend, a white dude with good medicine and a good heart. So I want to be clear on that part as well. Thank you. Wow. Let's just take a moment and let that sink in, I think. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Shane. Yeah, I mean, first of all, what's coming through for me is as someone that is looking forward to participating in their first ayahuasca ceremony next month and feeling the work just pouring in through my being like and hearing you talk about the immense release you experienced just wow that makes me excited it makes me hopeful it makes me it makes me look forward to it a bit more and i'm wondering was it easy though was it easy to experience that release to feel all that because from my experience you don't get to release it until you felt it for real. Oh boy. That first night was not easy. There was a moment where it clicked and then it was all the divine messages and stuff. But I have to tell you, I'll share a small part of my journey that night. So I, I, I love all the religions. Um, I, I think at the core, most of them are true. Um, but when I was younger, we were brought up in the Southern Baptist church. And so I had at one point a vision. I, I sat uh, in a meditative uh, position, seated position, with my head slumped over, and I was just letting the medicine work. And I had, I was having this vision of myself, a very pathetic vision of me carrying like this fucking heavy cross. And I was carrying this heavy fucking cross on my shoulders. And this was before the release, so I didn't even know what I was dealing with at this point. I'm carrying this heavy cross, and the medicine tells me, drop it. And I replied to the medicine, like, I'm, tr I'm trying. And the medicine was like very stern. It was like, don't try, do it, drop it. And I'm like, I'm trying. So I got caught in this loop and I don't know for how long because under the medicine time is uh, an illusion as it always is. You're just, you know, you have no idea. And so round and round I went with this and I was just going through, oh, drop the cross. I'm trying, I'm trying to stop trying, do it. Okay, cool. And then in an instant, the cross fell off 
And I was just lifted and I laughed and said out loud in the middle of ceremony, it's just that fucking easy. Now, it wasn't that easy, but in that moment, the instant relief that I felt was so divine that like it was just such a gift. And I realized in that moment that it was the shame and guilt and regret over lost time and lost people, lost finances, lost opportunities. And so I dropped it all that night. In retrospect now, and maybe it was, maybe it's because of the dropping of that cross that night, I am grateful for all of what has transpired in my life. I understand now that it had to be that way. I would not, I could not be where I am right now, doing what I'm doing, had I not gone through every single thing that I had gone through. So late at night when I was addicted and I would sit on my bed crying, being like, what did I ever do to deserve this? You know, like, I'm a good person, you know, like, why me? Now I know, and it's okay. Why me? Because it had to be just the way it was. So I accept all of that. So dropping that stuff that night was just a huge revelation for me, and it's helped me hold on to all of this to this day. Yeah, that's that's so beautiful, and I really can relate. I mean, for me, even beyond, yeah, beyond my my addiction. I, because by the time that I found ayahuasca, I already had several years of complete abstinence and felt pretty solid in my addiction, but it was really the trauma and the stories and the guilt. And for me, it was like my my fiance who had committed suicide, like holding on to that guilt and allowing that and just like the release of that, which as you know, as you said and as you asked, like is not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. Um medicine ceremonies do challenge you and it takes a warrior spirit to show up. And we, you know, we just hosted um, a retreat recently, a medicine retreat, not ayahuasca, different medicine that uh, we had someone who was similarly caught in a loop and, um, and afterwards just had these same like intense reprogramming revelations. And it's just like, I feel like these medicines give us access to the divine and access to a higher consciousness that allows us to really drop in and reprogram what we need to. And it's not that it's the only way to get there because, you know, like there are multiple paths as you, as you mentioned to recovery, to healing, to anything, but it's just such an effective effective tool. And you often call it, what do you call it again? Like a great accelerator. Yeah. A great accelerator. And psychedelics are just non-specific amplifiers. And that's why you will find people within the medicine space that are uh, not, not integrating properly and it's amplifying ego. And you can find that just as much as you can find people who are doing the work. I mean, just with anything, there's light and dark to all of this. And um, yeah, it's just, I, I relate so much to your story and really just the power of the medicine. I mean, if I had find it if I had found it earlier on in my in my journey, I you know, I'm grateful for the journey that I had for the same reason as you because I'm glad that I had this 12-step experience first and then finding ayahuasca, but it all it all brought me exactly where I needed to be as it brought you exactly where you needed to be as it brought you exactly where you needed to be. So it's just it's just this really beautiful way of seeing that. 
Yeah, the um, uh, the connection that these plant medicines give you to whatever you consider your source of divinity, the connection that they give you is key in all of this, right? So uh, faith is huge, right? And we must trust the process and have faith in God that all things are unfolding as they must, right? But when you touch that, uh, it can do one of two things. It can either give you the realization that you're part of something greater and your life is a gift and you need to treasure it and, and hold it. Um, but it can also be a little unsettling to realize that because we believe we, many people believe we are just this 3D body and the job and, and, and the family member and the wife or husband, you know, so we, we, we think we are these things, right? And we are these things, but they're like this much of what we truly are. And so these medicines can help you connect with your source of divinity in a very profound way, but they are just a momentary remembrance of the deeper connection. They are, they are a fleeting glimpse into what is always there and, and what we are always a part of. But then a beautiful segue integration, but then people have got to learn to implement the lessons and gifts that they are receiving in these medicines into their real 3D day-to-day -day existence. And I think that's where many people get confused because this medicine, while it is miraculous, it alone is not going to save you, but it will give you the self-love, the power and the direction to save yourself and that's why integration is so key and there are several integration practices that i always preach and i would love to go over if you all want to at some point oh yeah definitely i mean integration is definitely the biggest thing that i i feel like i talk about when i'm talking to people about plant medicines it's like okay the me the, the ceremony is one little piece of it really what you do afterwards and how you allow it to inform your life is where the work truly happens. Yes. Does it take work to be purging and to be, you know, going through the uncomfortability of being in ceremony? Absolutely. That takes a lot of work, but the real work really does happen afterwards. Do you have something to add? Yeah. And talking about the real work, you know, Q and I love the term life is a ceremony, which is what her, you know, original business name was. Her original offering was life is a ceremony because integration pre-integration during the ceremony it's kind of all the same thing like the ceremony in my eyes is honestly the easy part because if you have the proper respect for the medicine the weight of that is not lost on you so you're like ready you're like my body is tuned for this moment like i am eating right i am doing all the right things i'm getting enough sleep i'm drinking enough water um, i'm exercising i'm setting my intentions i'm meditating in preparation for this experience and you also know that however challenging this experience will end you may lose sight of that at times but it is going to end and oftentimes you do walk away feeling so grateful that it happens versus in the day-to-day -day, as you and i were just talking like feeling like we're in a period of being very challenged to grow right now we wake up we do our work we meditate we journal we pray and we're like, fuck, this is so fucking hard. And there's no definitive end. You just have to keep going. You just have to keep breathing. You just have to keep going. And in that way, life is the ceremony. 
like you have to keep breathing and life is the integration and it's just all like a constant practice yes 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 it never ends and so and so my 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 one of my key phrases is, is keep it moving right because it never ends it's the energetic dance of shiva right the cosmos is going to keep spinning regardless of what's happening in our lives and and that's really important to remember and i think um a lot of people come to these medicines um or maybe just seekers, you know. Most people are coming to work on some real stuff. Occasionally, you'll get like a psychonaut or like just a seeker who's curious, right? But but um, but it's it, many people um, are so interested in touching the fifth dimension and like sort of going into the ether and floating in the cosmos and touching all that, and that's beautiful and it's a divine gift and it's nice to to be there to experience that. But then their lives are still all fucked up because. You know, they're not paying attention to this. And this is where everything starts. You know, this is where everything starts. All that cosmos, all that universe, all, all that fifth dimension, it's all right here. And just like with the chakras, you have to make, you know, the root chakras get such a bad rap, but like you need the root chakras. It's the foundation. It's where we build to raise everything else up and out. And so similarly, the integration part and the and the connection with your 3D day-to-day -day life in getting to those more elevated places is very key because it starts with your relationships. How do I talk to people? How do I react to people? How do I act? How do I eat? How do I move? How do I breathe? Right? And so that's the foundation. And that all comes from right in here. And this is not, let me repeat, this is not all love and light. The light has to come from the dark abyss. We need the darkness. And people are constantly trying to avoid it. And that's where you come into problems because you cannot avoid it. You have to accept it. You have to accept it. You have to integrate that darkness, what we call shadows those places in us that we do not want to touch or we believe other people will not find acceptable, we have to go there and integrate that. Otherwise, you are going to go insane trying to be constantly blissed out, full of joy, love, and light. Yes, love and light is amazing. I would prefer to constantly be bathed in it. But as I posted the other day, anything basking in the light is also going to cast a shadow and you cannot deny that. So accept it, learn to understand it, and then learn to integrate it. So this is a well-rounded, balanced journey. So if you think you are going to come to one of these ceremonies and get a unicorn ride over a rainbow, you may get that, but you that unicorn might come out of the mud or end up in the dirt or both. So be prepared for all of that when you start this healing journey. Well said, and that, that's been a, a revelation for me that's come through embarrassingly late in my life in which I didn't want to feel the things. I wanted to be blissed out all the time. And the way I did that was by, you know, using stimulants and eating lots of food and just avoiding anything that was being bored or feeling challenged or feeling stuck or frustrated or anything like that. And I've come to the realization that if you want to feel the highest highs, you have to feel the lowest lows. If you want to feel the immense joy, you have to feel the deepest sorrow. There's no, you know, if you want to fight, you know, yeah. So just that polarity, you need both things if you want to have either. And the other piece too that I've noticed is that people who are 
you know, uh, people who are associated with being very light-like beings. Like I found this for myself a lot. A lot of people are always like, like have 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 called that have called me that. I suppose like it's just like oh wow, there's there's so much light, and it's really it's because I've experienced so much darkness that I'm able to now be someone who can be led from my heart because I know that it's the only way because through the darkness, I had to come back to my heart. And so if I can, if I can be from my heart within the darkness, then I can show up anywhere within that space. And so really, you know, I I was just reflecting the other day with my, my friend, uh, Pamela about, uh, a, a really awful medicine ceremony that I had. And it was not awful because it was challenging. I've had many, many challenging medicine ceremonies. But about a year ago, I had a very traumatic medicine ceremony with a carrier who intentionally messed with and taunted and, uh, yeah, like tormented the people within the space. And for me, it, it was, I think that it was just this initiation for me into a higher level of who I needed to be. So even casting things as good or bad and when it's light and dark, like you can you can recognize and validate that was wrong. That shouldn't have happened. But you can also say, wow, that was that was wrong, but also look at how far I've come since then and look at how it's how I've transmuted that experience. So yeah, really good topic. Yeah, and, and when things like that are unfolding, so when we are going through a tough time, when things seem difficult, when they seem hard, when they seem negative from our narrow first person perspective, we do not know. We are not God. We are, we're a small piece, but you know, it is not, everything is not for us to know. And so we also have to trust when things are going shitty in our life, that they are going that way for a reason and that it may not be for us to know and that we have to just accept that now it doesn't make things easier you know but if you can come from a point of like this thing that i perceive as bad hard negative sad fearful whatever is happening to me if you come from a place of gratitude even for that because i do not know what the larger result is going is meant to be when you can come from that place it makes getting through those times a little bit easier because you remember there's going to be some gifts in this and maybe I just don't know what they are yet. And your point about the medicine server, if I may continue, um, medicine servers, some of them are, 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 are doing too much. They're, they're doing too much. It's between the medicine and the participant and it's the medicine servers uh, uh, position to keep them safe physically, energetically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, while they have their own process, while they have their own journey. There are very few times throughout ceremony where I feel called and I try to remove myself. I try to get Shane out of the way and let spirit lead and let the medicine lead. There are very few times in ceremony where I feel I need to interject into someone's uh, process. And so a lot of times these medicine servers think they are the miracle and that they are the healer when really they should just be a conduit and just be there to make sure that people get the most within themselves. So they make it about themselves a bit more than the participants. And I see that a lot. A lot of people want to serve ayahuasca. So they go into it wanting and desiring to serve this medicine because they know it's power. And I'm sure they have good intentions and mean very well, but they don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it. And so they get into this space and I've been a part of many ceremonies like this and I no longer facilitate at these churches where these things have unfolded where you know just too much is is happening and also there, there's 
40, 50, 60 people at a ceremony, which is a lot. These ceremonies are already what I call divine chaos. And if you have 50 people, I mean, it can be fucking madness, particularly for first timers. So that's another reason why uh, at my retreat, you know, we keep the numbers low. I, I try to cap them at about 12 or 15. That way I can give each person individual attention also at many of these other churches, there will be organizers, facilitators, church owners who will do all the intake and all the communications, all that stuff. And then a medicine server will come out for four hours, serve the medicine, and then take off again. So you don't really have access to the medicine server. So you can't ask the person serving the medicine any questions. You can't go through your journey or process with them because there's 50 people there. And also, many times, you don't know where this medicine is coming from or who brewed it. That's why it's important for me personally at my retreats to brew my own medicine. I use only two ingredients, the same two that have been used for millennia, the chacruna leaf and the capybine. And then also, and, and the most fun part, I mean that sarcastically, is sitting with that medicine alone after I brew it so that A, I know what I'm serving, to B, stay connected with the medicine and my relationship with her, and to C, stay very humble and in my integrity when it comes to this service. There are so many really important pieces to remember about sitting in ceremony safely. It's who you're sitting with. It's, you know, the way that you show up. And also we were kind of talking about this earlier, but integration is just such a key piece of it. And you had mentioned you have some integration tactics and tips for people. I would love for you to share those with us. Yes. And again, there are probably many different uh, integration tools that people could use. I try to touch on the key ones that I know have been effective, that are time tested both for myself and for other people. So I've got seven things. One is a daily meditative practice. We know for millennia that all the great teachers throughout history have had a deep uh, connected a meditative practice, a prayer, call it what you will. Most of them went off into the caves or into deserts or under a Bodhi tree for extended periods of time and sat with themselves and God to merge the two. So a daily meditative practice is key. And while I'm on meditation, let me try to um, alleviate some people's fear because oftentimes when I ask people about their daily meditative practice, I get the response, I don't know how. There is no right or wrong way. Just sit your ass down in the morning, close your eyes, and just be with yourself. Meditation is not necessarily clearing your mind of all thoughts. That is largely humanly impossible. What it is, is a practice in redirection and letting go. So in other words, I'm sitting with myself, the thoughts, oh, that woman did this thing to me. Okay, I see it, I feel it, I'm gonna allow this, I'm sad, I'm angry, I feel betrayed, what not, what have you. Okay, I'm gonna feel that because we, we say in these spiritual communities, and I hate that term, to sit with it. Well, this daily meditative practice, this time every single morning is the literal chance for you to sit with it to think about it, not to try to get all the thoughts out of there, but to think about the things. 
What have I done wrong? What have I done right? Where can I improve? And then I find personally that after you allow some of that stuff to be processed and to think deeply and uh, and contemplate this stuff, then you are allowed to let it go. Now, if there are multiple things going on, and I know sometimes for me, it can take me 20 or 30 minutes before I get to a place of really calm, centered, grounded connection with divinity. But it's only after I've allowed myself to process these things that I'm going through in my life that I'm then able to remember my connection with source. So I don't want people to think they have to clear their minds of all thoughts. Instead, after you allow yourself to sit with that stuff, you can begin as you quiet your mind when things come up to redirect. And this is why the breath is so important because it is your anchor. So when the thoughts come, you can just go, okay, breathing in, breathing out. And so you're redirecting. It's like lifting weights, right? So in that moment, you are practicing. This is your daily practice. So when you get out into the world, A, you've already worked through so much of that stuff, right? Because you've really allowed yourself to feel and to think about all those things deeply. But then also you can in real time then begin to shift your energies and your thought patterns when things arise because you can come back to your breath. You can do this whether you're sitting at your work desk or standing in line at the supermarket. These things are coming up. Okay. Let me come back to my breath. Breathing in. Breathing out. So it's just a constant redirection. It's just a constant redirection because we are human. So a daily meditative practice is key. Number two, your diet. I love to eat all the things. I love the sweets. I love I love food. Um, but considering, thinking about the things that we are putting in our bodies, where we are getting them from, the prayers and thanks we give before, even beginning to think about these things just a little bit will allow yourself the space to make some small changes. What happens is people think, I'm going to go vegan right away, or I'm going to go gluten-free right away, or I'm going to do this, that right away. And then it's not sustainable. But if you start to consider what you're putting in your body and how much and why, then you're at least aware of it and you can begin to make very small changes. Just one wiser dietary decision today than you made yesterday. And again, as with everything, just be patient with yourself and do the best you can. So daily meditative practice and diet. Three is exercise. Like I said before, it all starts right here. This is our temple. This is our vessel. This is our ride through this 3D life. And so it needs to be strong physically. It needs to be healthy physically. So I recommend everybody get to the gym. Yes, the gym. At least three times a week to lift something heavy, to let this body move. That is what they are made for. They are made to move and to grow and to become strong and to carry us through all of this. And if your 3D vessel is not well, while you might have great wisdom, your time here will be short and you will be a bad example of what an optimal human being can be. So meditation, diet, exercise. Number four is getting out into nature as much as possible. I am blessed to live on the Gulf Coast of Florida and I have beautiful, clear, white sand beaches about a half an hour away. Some people have woods. You might have a park, but don't make any excuses. Get yourself out into nature. Anybody, everybody knows the healing power of nature, the fresh air, the birds singing, the water, the trees, the grass. Get into nature. Number five, pursue the things in your life that you enjoy doing. 
the hobby or whatever it is. If you like glass blowing, if you like painting, if you like making music or making films or doing poetry or rock climbing, go do that. Because when you do the things that make you happy, your life is more fulfilled and you come from a place of greater joy in everything that you do and experience in life. Uh, number six is gratitude. And you can add this in your daily meditative practice. There's so much I fit in my daily meditative practice. But the gratitude piece is huge because so many times we're focused on what we don't have and what is not going well. Now we forget that in the first world country that we live in, we can go six steps to fresh, clean drinking water. And there are people who are walking miles to get that. It's all the things. We are so blessed in so many ways. And if you are not grateful, for what you already have, then why would the universe bestow more upon you, you know? And finally is journaling. And I don't journal as much as I should, but I write lyrics and I'm writing these books, so I do a lot of writing. Um, but journaling is a really good way to get your thoughts out of your head onto paper so that you can go back eventually maybe. Sometimes just getting them out on paper is good enough, but sometimes it's good to go back and revisit them and see where was I, what was I thinking, and to see it from a, 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 an alternative perspective. So these are seven of the key integrations uh, pieces that I recommend to everybody. Um, and they work, you know, they, they, they work. I'm not adding these in there just because I think something, you know, like these are the things that work. And again, it is incumbent upon each individual to not make any bullshit excuses for not doing this. Do you want to heal and grow? Do you want to learn? Do you want to level up? Then this is your job. This is your the work. And so people can make excuses. Well, I work so much. We all have, we all have to. There are people at my gym. One person has one leg. Uh, there is an elderly woman there that walks on the treadmill for hours. There's another guy who seemingly had a, a stroke and half of his body is limp. All these people are there working out. They're not making excuses. I'm sure they have other obligations, but there they are. Another guy is in a wheelchair. He's still lifting weights and keeping what part of his body is working optimally, you know, primed. And so we can't make any excuses. I don't have time to meditate. Well, that's just bullshit. All you need is 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I bet you scroll through your phone or watch Netflix for hours. You know, it's just, these are just little changes, you know. So doing these things and not making any excuses is the work that each person has to undertake if they want it. And they don't have to want it. It's each person's journey. And I respect and honor that as well. Yeah. Thank you for that masterclass on living life as a ceremony. And Yes, this is the work that we all have to do. And while, yes, it is totally possible to make time and prioritize all these things, there's no excuse for saying you can't. You totally can. And perhaps also that's looking at your mindset. You know, are you going to say, oh, I can't do it because of this? Or are you going to say, I can do this in spite of these things, these challenges? Hmm. <sighs> And just for anyone listening, you know, these are all things that are such incredible practices for your healing and just being a powerful, vital, healthy, joyous human being that feels all the things. But don't put pressure on yourself, like you said, after the ceremony to do it all at once. You know, it's a slow buildup to creating this and making this your lifestyle and your life. You know, if you snap your fingers and try and do it all, it, it's much more challenging and you risk burning out. 
that is a beautiful and key part that I also preach is the patience, right? This this healing thing, the, these evolutions, these leveling ups, they do not happen overnight. This is a slow process. And so that's why the discipline in these practices is so important because just like going to the gym, you're not going to go two or three times and see a bunch of results. You have to have faith and patience and consistency. But I guarantee you over time, if you begin to implement these small changes, you will definitely see changes in your life. And then it makes it a bit easier because now the ball is rolling. So now you're like, okay, I am seeing results. So let me keep this up. That's a good point. Thank you. And it also makes sense just from a from a scientific standpoint, why all of these practices are helpful for integration. I mean, you know, even what you were talking about, like with with hobbies, right? And doing something that you love. Not only is it really good for our brains to be doing something that is just for us and that excites us, but also any type of creative expression is so key in integration because it's it's opening up new neural pathways. It's it's how we're using we're taking something from our brains and like creating it. And creation is such an important piece of of all of that. And then also, you know, even talking about like going to the gym, right? That's something that has been the most challenging piece for me to integrate. Uh, and I did have a million excuses. I've been trying to um, go more frequently recently with the help of of EJ's, EJ's loving push. Um, but it is, it's so important. And, and you know, I, for me, I have my whole spine fused together and all of this back pain and, and those muscles have atrophied. So it's so important for me to keep them in shape and strong and moving. And um, and what I found is that when I do show up for myself and in any of these practices, like even when I was just starting out with meditation and, and just starting out with my practices, when I show up for myself, it is it is teaching me, it is, it is teaching me and rewiring my brain that I'm worth it, that I'm worth showing up for, and that it's worth it for me to put in this work towards my own healing and that I can heal and that farther like solidifies our healing journey. So I'm so grateful that you brought up all of those amazing points. Yeah. And, and the self love and the reconnection with one source of divinity that these plant medicines give somebody is a uh, powerful in remembering that like, I am worth it. You know, I do deserve this. I can do this. And so much of what happens over the course of say four hours in any one given night of ceremony, it can be so much, it can be so much so fast that it's, you're not, you're just not going to be able to parse through it in one night or one day. And oftentimes this medicine is still working deeply in people days after, at least the medicine I breathe does. And so, you know, it's important to do all these things because what it does, is it allows your mind and your body and your heart and your spirit, it opens them up to allow those messages that maybe you didn't quite hold on to in the moment because so much was happening, it gives you a chance then to really remember that because things will pop up days, weeks, months later that were like, oh yeah, this thing happened in ceremony that you totally forgot about. But if you're giving your body and your mind and heart the space and time and allowing it to open, then these messages will come through eventually and clearer and more consistently. And that's really working with the medicine. That's really optimizing the benefits that this medicine can give people. And just to go back to your part, 
about your spine being fused, right? And you saying like those muscles have atrophied, but like when you go, you show up for yourself, you realize you're doing yourself a beautiful service. And a lot of people, as far as the gym goes, I know specifically, will use the excuse that they're in pain or this, that, and the other doesn't work right or something's not perfect. But a lot of the times, it's because they aren't strong that they're feeling pain, that their bones and muscles are turning on them because they want these muscles and these bones want to be strong and they want to be protected. So if you've got something that's lacking, it might be because your muscles are weak. So instead of not working out because of it, maybe just adjust how you do this, that, or the other exercise a little bit to make sure that you are safe physically, but also still go get it and make the rest of your body strong. You're doing yourself a service in that way. Yeah, so important. Agreed. You know, those modifications to exercise and to any practice, you know, to suit the individual are very important. You know, human beings are all very unique creatures and we like to preach the blueprints you know everyone needs to do this thing but it's you know maybe a vague concept yes we all should sit in stillness and yes we should all meditate and practice eating well but the specifics of that will be unique to each individual yeah and these are just and these are just very so these are just basic beginnings right so i mean i have a way of my my daily meditative practice is become my own quirky weird little ritual that i do every morning for about an hour or so it includes one hit of cannabis it includes rape sacred tobacco snuff and sitting with my meditation and doing some different breathing or visualization techniques but again this is where personal responsibility comes in just do something start somewhere and then slowly and patiently and faithfully build on that make it your own turn it into what works best for you and then just continue on that path in a disciplined way absolutely that feels like a beautiful finish but but there is one more question on my heart that i think would be of immense service to people listening to this podcast and from someone that's heard about your story shane and someone that's heard about your story kelia the differences i've seen and that is very relevant to the plant allied recovery podcast and community is these different paths to recovery. And I would love to hear, you know, real quick, just from each of you on what is your perspective on, you know, introducing plant medicine as more of a means to getting that initial abstinence and sobriety versus establishing that initial abstinence and sobriety, and then incorporating plant medicine to further your healing from trauma and blah, 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 recovering into the fullest truth of your being? Beautiful question. Um, I really think that so much of what you touched on, Shane, with the, you just have to do the work. I think that that is really the most important factor. And for someone like me, I think that in the beginning, because there are aspects of psychedelics and this whole path that do just feel really, really good. I think that for me, as someone who needed to learn how to do the work first before I could do the work, I I really needed that time of complete abstinence to be able to recognize like, okay, I need to be journaling about this. I need to have a meditation practice. I need to be doing the work. I need to be doing these things first because I have witnessed so many people who go come to plant medicine and they're sitting over and over and over again and they're not integrating and they're not doing the work in between and their life just becomes more unbalanced and they might not be using, but they have like a whole new slew of issues that come to be as a result. So I really think that 
while both paths are equally valid and equally great paths, it, it really, if you are still using and struggling, then I think, yes, if you have not tried sitting with ayahuasca yet and it is calling to you, then then you should you should try it because you really at that point have nothing left to lose. Um, but I think that for me personally, if I hadn't found all of these practices first, I think that I would have made ayahuasca and I would have made plant medicine my higher power and I would have always felt like I needed to come back to that when I had any questions instead of recognizing that I had the wisdom within me first and then finding plant medicine and then being able to expand very quickly from there. So that is kind of my my answer to that. Um, I do feel like each person is different and there are so many paths and not everyone's even has to include plant medicine. And I think that for people in particular who are stagnant within their current recovery practice, that this is a great expander and accelerator, as you say, to just having an entirely new life because at that point you already know how to do the hard work. You got yourself sober. You're already, you know, in that space. And so this just takes you to that next level um, of who you're meant to be. And so I think that it's definitely something for people there and not to worry about things like relapse because I know that that's a common fear amongst people. But yeah, that's, that's my thoughts. Yeah, that was all really beautifully said, and it brings me to another point you just reminded me, and I'm writing about this in the book as well. Um, people will often ask me because obviously, you know, people come to these medicines for many reasons, and I have seen both people who have already done the work and are already clean and in recovery, and then I have seen people who are deep in their addiction and have come to the medicine and gotten relief uh, 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 from it. Uh, and, and I don't think there's any right or wrong way to do this. In fact, in my own journey, I was, you know, like I had jumped off four, uh, five milligrams of methadone and then I was four weeks later at a ceremony. Um, and for me, it was divine timing. It worked out beautifully and was exactly, uh, you know, what I, what I needed it to be. Um, and I was on, a, and I was on a mission, but I'm writing in the book now and people ask me who are in recovery, like, is this going to, uh, is this going, you know, how is this going to affect my recovery? Is this a substitute? Are these plant medicines a substitute for using the other things that I was using, and is it just a crutch? And so my answer to that is a definitive no, it is not. Because these processes are not easy. They, they, they can be very uncomfortable. They are not fun. Um, one would not want to consistently sit with these things on a daily basis, you know, on a monthly basis, let alone a daily basis. Um, and they are going to not only not suppress, hide, cover up the feelings and emotions that these other uh, both pharmaceutical and illegal substances uh, will, but they are going to open you up to the reasons why possibly you are using them and give you the fortitude, strength, and self-love to move on and power through them. So these are beautiful tools that people can use. They should not be afraid. And there are so many ways to get clean, as you just said, but not every, not each way works for each individual. And so I admit this might be an extreme way to get where you are trying to go, but it is an option. It is a viable option. It is an all natural option. And it has been proven to work time and time again. So uh, I would say that this is not a replacement for any hard drugs that you were on. Um, and in fact, I've seen many people get clean as a result of using 
and to stay clean. I'm working with somebody now who used to be an alcoholic, and she went through the AA thing, and uh, she was worried about it. She came to ceremony, and I'm constantly getting messages from her about how this changed her life. She's diving deeper, and she's learning to cope and navigate. Even though she was already clean, she's moving on now, and she's getting up to the next level. So that's what these medicines are really all about. And so I think that's a really important point to remember as people uh, move forward in their recovery and in their lives, that these are good, all-natural God given through the earth tools that when used with a safe medicine server in a safe environment with good intentions and good medicine can revolutionize and change somebody's life internally and externally. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we just had someone recently come to one of our retreats that was also had 11 years in, in recovery. And he ended up sending me like a, uh, a, uh, picture of, of a quote in the ninth step promise within the big book talking about being hand in hand with God on God's highway. And he was like, I have read this over and over again. And the first time feeling that ever was in ceremony. And I'm so grateful. And just, it's so beautiful to witness people come into this path and come into this work. Um, and yes, it's not, it's not easy and it is not, that's why, you know, it's not a drug. And that's really like, the wording for me is is so so important to reframe for people because we are sitting with and praying to and working with these medicines we are not using them and you know abusing them like you know people like us who have a history of addiction have done to other substances it's not the same it's it's something within its own category because i i believe that there's a sentient spirit within these plants that works with us on a energetic and spiritual level in a different dimension if that even makes sense which it will if you sit so <laughs> um but yeah beautiful thank you so much for this incredibly just amazing conversation with so much wisdom. I'm so grateful for our connection and for you coming on and recording a second episode with us since we lost the last one. Um, is there any final words that you'd like to share? Just thank you, Kelia. Thank you, Shane. And thank you to the people listening. I know it's our collective prayer that this finds those that need it and helps those that need to hear it beautiful so, thank you all yeah. thank you all for your time i'm so glad that we could talk i had a really good time you all, you all are beautiful and please keep up the good work thank you for listening to the plant allied recovery podcast and thank you shane for coming on to this podcast and sharing your story with us and sharing your path everyone has a unique plant allied recovery path and each of us has our own unique way of sharing our gifts and sharing our message of strength and hope and so thank you so much shane for coming on if you want to follow him i will link his information below he can be found on instagram at midnight underscore profit underscore and his website is www.themidnightprofit.com Thank you so much, Shane, for sharing your gifts with us. We appreciate you. And thank you for listening to the Plant Allied Recovery Podcast. And if you are interested in going deeper on your Plant Allied Recovery path, please check out plantalliedrecovery.com. We have weekly free meetings and we have a lot of incredible resources for you to learn how to integrate plant medicine into your recovery path in whatever way you choose, because there are so many different paths for us to take. And it's really, really important for us to have guidance and 
to learn the best way to find the path that works for us. So thank you again for listening, and I hope to see you next time. Aho.